0: Hi, it's Alan Carter. Here's what I learned on the podcast today. How is it possible to hit a cyclist, leave them to die on the side of the road, try to cover up the crime, and then spend no time in jail? I'll tell you a story that is going to make you angry. Plus, we're going to talk about big tech and journalism. What's really going on with Australia and what will Canada do to try And contain big tech in our country. Let's get to it. The sad truth is it's not safe. It's just not safe to get on a bicycle and go out in the streets of the city of Toronto or anywhere in the GTA, frankly. And what has happened in the courts makes me sad. It makes me angry. What is it that you have to do to warrant jail time? On June 15th, 2020, on Carlton Road in Unionville, a cyclist is hit and left to die alone on the road. The driver leaves the scene and then tries to cover up the crime. And for that, the punishment is 12 months house arrest, 100 hours community service. The driver, Alexandra Forrestall. She pleaded guilty back in January to failing to stop at the scene of the accident that caused the death of 54-year-old Safat Taraski. Taraski had taken cycling at the beginning of the pandemic. So many of us in the same boat, working from home, perhaps some more time, nowhere to go anymore, can't go to the gym, looking for a way to exercise. Global News spoke with his grief-stricken family after the accident last year.
1: With COVID, that started, right? And he wanted to get some exercise, right? He was working from home. And then all of a sudden he just started cycling, right? And that was his route, I guess,
2: every single day.
1: He got the helmet. He got the reflectors. Everything that Branding we needed.
2: Shoes. He was so happy, just to be out there.
0: It is the family of 54-year-old Safa Taraski, who was killed in a hit-and-run accident last June. After fleeing the scene, the 26-year-old driver admitted she panicked and fabricated a story. This is part of our crime reporter, Catherine McDonald's story on the accident from June 17th of 2020.
1: Police alleged 25-year-old Alexandra Forrestal of Markham fled the scene before driving to Stouffville where investigators say she called police and filed a report saying her vehicle had been struck in a hit-and-run while she was in the parking lot of a business. Police say thanks to surveillance video uploaded to their website from a homeowner, which showed a white SUV with front end damage, they were able to match the vehicle.
0: Forrestal then went to work and carried on with the lies telling her insurance company and the police about the fake incident, and it was only after being confronted by York Region police officers at the body shop the following day, she admitted she was indeed the guilty party. The Crown, in this case, had asked for six to eight months in jail, but the judge, the judge sided with the defense which asked for and got a conditional sentence here is the reaction to the sentence from the sister of that cyclist this is Cindy Ismail
1: I can't even speak it's it's, it's rage right like this is it's
3: it's hard to believe that anybody who can do this is potentially can just get a one year sentencing and get
0: a slap on the wrist. That is Cindy Ismail, sister of Safet Tarowski, who was killed last year in a hit-and-run accident. As part of the conditional sentence, Forrestal must live with her family during the first six months of house arrest, and in the second half of the year, she has a curfew from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. Did you get that? Did you get that? it has got to stay home. it has got to stay home. Basically, the punishment you have because there's a pandemic. That's pretty much the same. David Shellnut is a lawyer who deals with these cases. The Viking lawyer joins me on the line. Um, David, you can tell I'm a little upset about this. Uh, I, I don't understand it. I, can you help me understand it?
3: Uh, Alan... Um, I- I, too, am shaken to my core when uh, reading about how, what has happened here. Um, uh, first, my heart um, and sadness goes to the family. Um, yeah, I look, look at this as like a fellow cyclist, but just as a human uh, and a person, it's, it's, it's enraging. Um, you know, this is a cover-up of a, of a murder. And this is the sentence that this person received? I can't help but think, Alan, if the roles were reversed and a man named that hit a white woman named Alexandra, uh, would the sentence handed down have been the same? If that had been a young black man and killed a young white cyclist, would we be reading this sentencing issue the same? Now that's all larger justice uh, system failures that, that we all need to address. Um, but I, I I think this this really affects people who who read or listen and hear about this story. Um, we we have laws that have been proposed, like the Vulnerable Road Users Act, that uh, push for stiffer penalties um, when cyclists and pedestrians are injured by by motorists. Uh, but those laws haven't been passed. Um, maybe tragedy like this, uh, some silver lining can be, and that our elected officials will uh, see that our system's failing uh, families uh, like Cifetz and, uh, and get something done here.
0: David, I, I know you've read through the decision and looked at it, uh, as have I. T- tell me a little bit about what the uh, defense um, put in as what they considered to be mitigating factors uh, in terms of, um, Ms. Forrestal's character
3: and, and how
0: that applied in this case.
3: Uh, again, I think that that those things all apply unequally as at present in our justice system, and that's something we need to look at. Uh, if you commit an act like this and have the follow-up um, that that this person did uh, with the deceit, lies, and cover-up, um, and leaving someone on the road. Without even calling for an ambulance, w- whether you were a, a great soccer player or a, a nice nanny before this, uh, should 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 very much be uh, of of mi- minuscule relevance. Um, it's it's
0: I, I, the, the, this one stood out to me. I mean, here's something that we haven't discussed: is that by yeah. leaving the scene. The police and investigators never had a chance to check blood alcohol levels. Like, to me, to me what message does this send to drivers? What message does this send to those who might be drinking and driving and then they're like, oh, I hit somebody, and then you think, oh, well, I know what the justice system will do with me if I go home and try and cover it up.
3: Now, I think that message is already clear to those people. Uh, this is the same story we hear again and again in tragic cases like this: families ruined, um, and sentences. If if there's even a conviction, sentences are, are super light, uh, and the person gets out uh, well before they should. I got a family uh, out in the Tilsonburg area where their father, a, a retired Canadian service, uh, armed, armed services veteran, was struck and killed. Uh, and that person uh, fled the scene as well. Now they got four years, but within a year, the probation, uh, the, uh, the requests request to be released, have already started. You know, um, and and that it, that just isn't appropriate in in a, in cases of murder, uh, which I would call it, or at best manslaughter. Uh, David, would, would we be treating someone who who fired a weapon uh, yeah. into a crowd the same way? I know,
0: and you know, your point about. I mean, we like to think that somehow justice is colorblind, but if we, like, I take your point, you know, if we reverse the roles here, if, you know, if it was somebody different behind the wheel, I think we'd be having a different conversation today.
3: Certainly we would. And and the judge made a comment about prisons being unsafe during COVID, so we can't possibly send this person there. That's all While right. prison yes. advocates, since the outbreak of the pandemic, have been requesting, you know, help and support in prisons for people already in there. And that's been that's been uh, that hasn't entirely been forthcoming, so it it just really it, it even just hits even further uh, that I, I can't help but think that who this person is affected the sentence they deserve they, they received, um, and uh, and and that's that's something we all ought to take pause at, um, and uh, and and push to have change. Um, One's one one thing that I, mm-hmm. I hope uh, the family uh, is pursuing is that when the criminal justice system fails, um, folks like this uh, can per, can proceed with a civil claim and sue the driver. And uh, where, where there's been a failure of justice, they can seek aggravated and punitive damages. Um, and even though this person uh, hasn't been in prison, I hope they pay for this uh, for a long time.
0: David, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, It's a disturbing case and one we're going to have to keep our eye on. David Sheldon, the biking lawyer, thank you again. I tell you you what you want is you want a shot in the arm from the vaccine, 100%. Justin Trudeau with an update on more shipments coming into Canada. Go, JT. We've been committing to you that we'll get 6 million doses total of COVID vaccines by the end of March. Well, because of the hard work of Minister Anand and the whole team, with these accelerated Pfizer deliveries, we'll now be getting 8 million doses by the end of March. In total, we can now expect 12.8 million doses from April to June from Pfizer alone. Booyah! Justin Trudeau with an update on the number of doses coming in. that is not going to assuage the anger from a lot of Canadians who think that the feds and believe the feds have botched the procurement because we are so far behind our other neighbors, especially our neighbors to the south. But that is great news. I I just wonder what that will do to all the COVID rollout plans that we hear, have here in the province of Ontario coming up in about 20 minutes. The DOFO show, a special DOFO show. Doug Ford announcing an update to the vaccination rollout plan in the province of Ontario uh, may be out of date already with an announcement from the prime minister. I also have breaking news. Breaking news. beep, 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 beep. I know, should have some com- something there. I should have some kind of sound effect. I, the uh, the province of Ontario has now announced the following that Toronto, Peel, and North Bay are all transitioning to the framework. We're not reopening. No, no. We're transitioning to the framework. This is a confirmation of what you likely have already expected to have happen, which is that Toronto and Peel will go into. The gray, lockdown level. So that's gray. Uh, North Bay will go to red. So it gets to go to red. But as for Toronto and Peel, it goes to red. That's pretty good. That's some good news. Yeah, baby. Uh, What's on your viewing schedule? What's on your weekend? What do you think? What are you going to do? I know what you're going to do. Well, if you're Shiba Siddiqui, you're going to be watching The Queen, Oprah talking to some now former royals. A couple that you may have heard of, somebody by the name of Harry and Meghan. Here's a little bit of the interview.
1: I don't know how they could expect that after all of this time, we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us.
0: Oh, the firm. The firm. Oh, I love it. It's juicy, Shiba Siddiqui. You're going to be watching Global on Sunday night.
1: Alan, this is the television event of the year. This is my Oscars. When I saw that this was coming up, oh, that's it. I've cleared my schedule. My family has told me, do not bother me for these two hours. So it's Sunday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Global. This is it. Apparently, Megan and Harry are just putting everything out on the table. Now, keep in mind, Oprah had called Meghan before the royal wedding, before she married Harry, and she'd asked her for an interview. Meghan has said it's just not the right time. But at the time, she wasn't even allowed to have the conversation alone with Oprah. So there were some royal attendants in the room with her as she had to turn Oprah down. So she goes on to say in a clip promoing this that she's very happy and relieved to be able to make her own choices now. Because she was a very independent adult before she married Harry, hmm. and since, as she, as we've heard, she calls it the firm, as, as, since she's left the firm,
0: the firm I love it. Uh,
1: she's back to making her own choices.
0: It's like a Grisham novel. I love it. Um, what do you make of the fact that we had this story quite recently that it turns out that maybe Meghan Markle is actually Julie Payette? Uh, in disguise, uh, with just possibly better hair, and that she also had a toxic work environment and was super mean to the staff.
1: Yes, so the British press has come out with a story. Interestingly enough, this week, they have come out with this story claiming that Meghan has bullied two of her staff, uh, which I find is interesting timing. I've heard that the Queen and Prince Charles are not happy about this interview that she's done with Oprah, uh, I'm sure they're sweating. I'm sure they're sweating, wondering what she's going to say. Is it a tell-all? Is she going to reveal everything? Who knows what she talks about? In another clip, Harry compares it to the harassment that he received from the British press to how his, what his mother went through, what Princess Diana had to endure, and how the British press treated her, and how at least him and Meghan have each other. His mother had to do it all by herself.
0: Okay, can, can we just address the people that are at home, home right now or listening to us right now, and I hear you. I hear you who are listening, who are like, hands up. I don't care about either one of these people. I I could not (laughs) possibly care less. So tell me why I should care.
1: Oh my God. Of course you should care. First of all, the majority of the world has a fascination with the Royal family, whether we admit it or not. I mean, I think, um, The royal weddings themselves are people tune in from all over at different time zones to watch these people get married, what they're wearing, who was there, what happened, the speeches, all of that. So this was a big deal because Meghan is known to be a black woman entering the royal family and Mm -hmm. people were not happy about that. And Harry, apparently people are saying online, the narrative is that Harry married this black woman and now the Royals are are pretty ticked off about it and how she's handling it and how she wasn't under their control. She never was. She was very much her own person. Unlike Kate, uh, who has followed all of the rules. Uh, Meghan lives. She's going by the beat of her own drum.
0: Sheba, nobody needs to watch The Crown on Netflix because it's just going to play out right... It just, it just, we're just, we watching it happen right here. This is a Season 9 of The Crown playing live in front of our eyes uh, as the Oprah thing goes this Sunday. All right, we're going to talk about it on Monday. You come back on Monday and, and give us your impression of the whole thing?
1: The play-by-play, play, Alan. I know you'll be dying to hear it. <laughs>
0: I am. All right. Sheba Siddiqui, my producer. I don't want to sail with the ship of fools. World Party, one of those great hits from the 80s. One of those just absolutely fantastic ones. That, that takes me back. Love that. Uh, I don't want to sail with the ship of fools, especially if the fools involved are trying to craft legislation dealing with big tech because I don't have a great deal of confidence In what's going on, I don't think we're getting the truth about what's happening with Facebook and what's happening with Google, especially as it relates to Australia. Here's the background. You may know this. The Australian government has now signed deals with both of those big tech giants to be able to sign deals. What they must do now is sign content deals with news publishers in Australia and some kind of remittance back and forth. The details are not necessarily Uh, public in terms of how that works, but Canada is looking very closely at it, and Canadian legislators may adopt the same model as the Australians have. What does that mean? What does that mean for innovation? What does it mean for small voices? Does it just actually transfer, transfer wealth from one set of billionaires, namely Silicon Valley, to another set of billionaires, namely hedge funds, or other corporations that own big business and also own media in this country. Full disclosure, I am speaking to you on a radio station that is owned essentially by a telecom. So that gives you a perspective. To talk more about it, I am pleased to welcome to the program Murat Hamadi, who is a reporter with The Logic. Welcome.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me on.
0: Let's talk about what uh, is happening in Australia and your perspective of what the Canadian government is doing in terms of takeaway from the Australian uh, situation.
2: Yeah, so um, the Australian situation in a nutshell, and I think that the the starting point needs to be, you know, what what are we talking about when we talk about sort of news in this context? And what what primarily we're talking about is, um, you know, um, in the example of Facebook, it's you know, you have a Facebook page, you go on there and you share a, um, a news story. Um, let's say because you're, you know, an, an informed and engaged reader, you share a logic news story. Um, what Facebook does is it, uh, sorry, I couldn't help myself, but what Facebook does is it, uh, it, uh, it, 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 it does what's called scraping. It, it basically like throws up a little preview, right? It says, the, it shows the headline of the story, a little excerpt, a photo. Uh, you click on it, it links you out to the website. Uh, Google does something similar. You search a term or maybe you're searching for a specific story. It um, Maybe it pulls up a little preview. Maybe it just shows you the link uh, with the headline. Uh, and in the Australian context, basically, the deal uh, would be if you're an Australian, you're a publisher that, um, you know, uh, that's read in Australia. So primarily like an Australian publisher.
0: Yeah, primarily um, Murdoch-owned if you're talking about Australia because that's the, the dominant force there but continue we'll get back to
2: that yeah we'll we'll get to that in a second um, so um, the, uh, the the those publishers would be able to uh, do basically two things essentially collectively bargain so everyone from Murdoch down uh, would be able to form sort of a consortium to go to these tech companies and um, agree uh, what. Roughly speaking, we're talking about licensing. So, you know, if they are going to put up those previews or or include those links, uh, then they'll pay a um, basically a, a licensing fee or some kind of fee uh, back to the publishers. Um, and the legislation um, allows um, them to collectively bargain to that. And it also says that if. The companies that, and it's only two companies that are covered by the legislation right now, Facebook and Google. If they can't reach a deal with these publishers, then there's binding arbitration. So um, they have to they have to accept whatever outcome. Uh, comes out of that arbitration
0: right because then the government would step in and possibly pick a number um, before we get too far down in the weeds, Murat, and I'm speaking with Mart Hamadi, who's a reporter with the logic let's just let's just get right to eye level. what's this mean for the average consumer those that use Facebook or Google? does it really mean anything?
2: In theory no uh, you know Facebook and Google make money by selling ads uh, primarily by selling ads to businesses, right? who want to advertise to either consumers or other businesses or whatever, Um, there's not really like a trickle down to the consumer in terms of uh, a financial trickle down to the consumer. But
0: in terms of it's like what I I understand that when Facebook was initially, you know, cut out of this and there was a lot of news about, okay then you couldn't find news in Australia on Facebook, but then they did sign the deal. But as long as the deal is done, what 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 the consumer sees is not going to be too much different. It's just a question about financials. Uh, and from that, the, the conventional wisdom is that because we have an uneven playing field, we have tech giants like Facebook and like Google who are siphoning off ad revenue, not paying taxes, and it's killing local journalism, and that this will enable some kind of parity or at least some redress for Canadian journalists and Canadian journalism to be able to support smaller local journalism, it, 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 do I have that right? And is that going to be true?
2: Uh, I think you, roughly speaking, have that right. I think News Media <laughs> Canada, which is the uh, so News Media Canada is the group that represents um, the large newspaper chains and the mm-hmm. large, like, independent newspapers in the in the country, um, and um, uh, yeah, I think that that is certainly their pitch that it would it, that it would generate more uh, money for these um, for all media from their perspective uh, to pay for uh, local more local news more more of the kinds of news that we want right that everybody says that they want um, and uh, will it actually have that effect? I mean, I, I uh, you know prediction is not my forte. What I will say <laughs> uh, is. Well, I you know you mentioned Murdoch and I want to talk about I, just, yeah. I, I think there's is, is something instructive in the Australian example so um, you know Google Google uh, has been making uh, licensing deals in Australia already um, and they, they made one with Murdoch and that one is the one that got the news because it happened like right as this fight as, you know in the in sort of the heat of this pitch battle just before um, the uh, uh, at the same time that Facebook had kind of withdrawn news from the platform, it was kind of seen as one of these sort of compounding events that finally uh, caused that final push that got everything over the line and everything done and dusted. Um, interestingly, Google first made a deal with a whole bunch of independent newspapers um, before Murdoch. Hmm. Um, and it has made deals. Um, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but, it, you know, it's made deals. in. I think it's made deals in Canada. Facebook has supported, you know, um, has run various um, what they call programmatic sort of support. So not, you know, not like a licensing agreement, but a specific, uh, for example, eight, uh, now I believe 10 journalists at the Canadian press, uh, 10 reporters are direct, are funded through money that Facebook gave the Canadian press. Facebook has no editorial uh, involvement, just to be clear. Right. It's just they gave the money, they hired 10 reporters. Um, a licensing system is a little more, uh, is a little less clear, Right licensing just becomes another form of revenue that goes into a, a publication, and then they decide what to do with it, and what they're saying is, we'll hire reporters.
0: Right. Well, recently on, on this program, I had Jeff Jarvis on, who is a, a professor um, and a commentator, and, and uh-huh. his, his take his take on this, and I, I'm sure you know of him, uh, and, and his take on this was, was the following, that this is just a transfer of wealth from billionaires to billionaires, essentially, and it's a cutting out the innovation economy, it's cutting out the small player, and that there is going to be no uh, incentive for Google or Facebook to actually sign these kind of deals with emerging voices, and that it'll just stifle growth? Uh,
2: I think that depends on how the system set up, right? If um, So, so uh, I mean, I'm sorry to keep taking us out across the world, but The thing that changed in the Australian case specifically, and I think this is this actually does address your question, is um, there's now a a carve out in that law that allows um, that basically says if these platforms make like a, a significant contribution to this, to sustaining Australian news, they're not subject to the new law. Now, you can like how you define like significant is the whole game, because if. Significant means you can sign a few deals with a, a few big publishers and and you're done. then yeah, Professor Jarvis is right. Uh, the people that inevitably there's an incentive for them to sign deals with are the biggest players, and they have no incentive to do you know individual negotiations with the, the smaller publications. If the Canadian version of the law says you have to do it with like you know anyone on this list or anyone who meets certain criteria that include the smaller publications, then no, it's not just. Uh, a transfer sure the bigger publishers will probably benefit more because they're bigger they publish more you know they have more outlets or whatever but it's not uh it, it all depends on how you write the law it's not written in stone just yet
0: when do you think we would get a law in canada any guess on that
2: uh well the heritage minister uh told a colleague of uh, mine uh recently uh, he said spring i believe spring starts in a couple of weeks <laughs> i've lost all sense of time in this pandemic <laughs> Um, But, uh, you know, so basically, I guess, anywhere from like mid-March through to May is what they're telling us. Uh, It is. uh, Let me say it's also certainly true. I I live and work in Ottawa and I mostly cover federal politics. It's certainly true that the government uh, has not had a ton of success getting legislation passed recently. So um, we'll see how quickly it actually moves once it's tabled.
0: Brad, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a, it can be a nerdy topic, but I think it's absolutely vitally important that we all understand it, and I appreciate you coming on.
2: Uh, happy to any I mean, journalists love talking about the future of our industry, right? <laughs> That's, we love
0: picking at the navel. No kidding. Brad Hamadi from The Logic. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: That's the podcast for today. Don't forget, The Alan Carter Show is live weekdays starting at noon.